Welcome to the Coffee and Conversation podcast, a service of the clinicalmanagersource.com, bringing you insights from industry experts on current issues impacting our work in the home health and hospice world. I'm Julia Maroney, your host. Today I have with me two experts from Symmetry. Symmetry is the largest consulting firm in the home health and hospice industry. Laura Wilson, Managing Director, and Rob Simeon, a principal, are with me. Symmetry comes from the merger of Simeon and Blacktree that came together to form one organization, offering a full complement of services. The business of healthcare is all about balance. Symmetry helps post-acute care providers grow stronger and healthier with a wide range of proven solutions that together guide organizations through challenges, changes, and growth. Symmetry serves organizations of all sizes and across all 50 states, serving home health, hospice, palliative, pediatrics, private duty, infusion, DME, and behavioral health. For the first time, you can get all of the insight and support services you need from one resource. The Clinical Manager Source provides services specifically targeted for clinical managers. We want you to thrive, not just survive. There's books, courses, podcasts, newsletter, colleague connection, and career insight specifically for clinical managers in the home health and hospice space. So today we're talking about value-based purchasing and the proposed rate cuts for, for home health services. I'm calling it the perfect storm. The overall impact is supposed to be about 810 million reduction in payments for home health agencies in 2023. Combined that with value-based purchasing being rolled out to all states in 2023, the base year in the proposed rule for that is being changed from 2019 to 2022, which could mean a higher bar to reach. Payment impacts are going to be felt in 2025, value-based purchasing. With a proposed rule, they've recalibrated the HHRGs, adding 159 codes to questionable encounters and updated 432 case mix rate weights. And change some lupa thresholds. So margins are narrow now in the industry and they're continuing to struggle with staffing and inflation and staffing costs are huge factors. So tell me you two, what's bothering you with this? You might as well add Oasis E in there as well because very true, let's add very true. That, that training onto everything else that our clinical managers are having to deal with on a, on a daily basis. The bottom line is this is a huge proposed cut. I mean, it's big. And we all know that the biggest part of an agency is the care that we deliver. That's, that's what takes up the cost. We don't own hotels and buildings and things. It's people and it's care. And the money's going to have to come out somewhere because like you said, margins are already Slim is not even a good word. They are paper thin at this point. And 
in doing this, we're going to need to look at, do we reduce care? I don't think reducing salaries is going to work. There's not always huge room to increase productivity. So this is going to sit squarely on the shoulders of the folks out there delivering care. At least from a clinical standpoint, that's my feeling. I don't know what you think, Rob. No, I mean, I think one of the things that, that actually keeps me up at night is I, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to choose option D, which is Medicare Advantage and managed care, because in all transparency, you know, Medicare is just cutting their, rebasing it down to, you know, an agency from a Medicare perspective, making, you know, you know, barely breaking even the Medicare business, but where we're all losing money a lot is, is on the Medicare Advantage plans, managed care plans, because a, the rates are not even covering our, our direct cost out there. And then also from an infrastructure standpoint, we need more people to do billing, collection, insurance, um, authorizations and all those different things. So, you know, I think that is kind of hardly leading to this and it's kind of bubbling up, you know, for years, we kind of, it was okay to accept, we got the rate and we got negotiated the plan. That's fantastic. We're a network with Blue Cross. We're and network with that now we're in that we're network with whoever we're we're network with but we didn't think about it we didn't think oh you know there's there's a cost of doing this business as well as the fact that it needs to cover our rates which are again you know you know as as as, as laura mentioned you know we're paying more and more for our initial staff to go out the door so i think it's come to you know crossroads where you know as an organization you know we may have to look at who we're contracted with how we're contracted with them and who we're going to accept which is going to become increasingly difficult because I think the statistics and the data show that nine out of every 10 person turning 65 years old is now rolling in Medicare Advantage. So, you know, we're talking, I think there's going to be, you know, in, in the near future, some serious access to care issues, you know, for, for, for a, lot of, a lot of patients. Yeah, you know, just a little impact there. My husband just recently turned 65 and they certainly make those Medicare Advantage plans very appealing, you know, offering a lot of different uh, bonuses and benefits if you sign up for that. So it's 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 kind of a dichotomy, I guess, when you look at it. It's not beneficial for you as a patient. It's really the industry as a whole. If you need services, you're in trouble if you choose Medicare Advantage. Is that? <laughs> Yeah, I, mean, I think, I mean, you hear it from providers now is that, you know, we're going to narrow down a network of who we're going to work with. I would speak and spoke to a group of agencies in one particular state and they stopped taking service, particular payers, the rates were too low. And actually the payers started to notice, the payers started to identify that these patients are not going to, to home care and it's causing a huge issue on their end because obviously home care is a less costly alternative and it also helps them avoid you know, hospitalizations and, 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 and on, on, on that side. And that's where the patient wants to be. So, you know, it's kind of an interesting, I think we're coming to a point in this whole issue that we're, 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 we're going to have to see something get, uh, you know, on, on this. So we'll kind of see how that, that plays out, but it, it should be, it should be interesting. I think I'll flip the side of it too, from a Medicare perspective, you know, What's keeping me up at night is that, you know, there's cuts coming and, you know, again, where do you cut? You know, there's only two places you cut. You either do less visits on, you know, per, per, per unit or you use 
telehealth. And to be honest, we telehealth is still not reimbursed by Medicare. And even from a standpoint of what is reduced in the managed care environment, it's very fragmented. Although I was surprised in some of the conversations we recently had with some of the managed care providers that, that they're more and more open and willing to, to negotiate something with the telehealth. Interesting. And I know that's one of the factors, Laura, that you have a level of interest with as well, with, you know, looking at how we're managing patients using telehealth. I don't think that many agencies have really taken it underneath advice until the, the pandemic started. But uh, we noticed now, oh, this really works for us. <laughs> but uh, what is your thought with that, Laura? I know you've got a background there. Well, you're, you're absolutely right. I am bullish on using technology to augment the care that's being delivered and to increase our patients' engagement out there to have more touches basically with them in an easier way. We're not having to drive through snowstorms if you live up north or a hurricane or floods or whatever the latest horrible rainstorm du jour that we've got going on in whatever area of the country you are. With telehealth, you can connect and see and check in on people and reinforce education and do a variety of things in a very inexpensive way, really, and in a way that people can handle. I know that everybody thinks, oh, these folks can't handle technology. Remember, it's mostly baby boomers now. And while we may not always be the most tech savvy in the entire world, certainly we're all carrying a cell phone at this point, generally a smartphone that they connect, connect with. I also think to what you say and to Rob's point, the time is now to start getting creative for solutions that you could provide to a managed care entity. And that may be using in an assisted living facility, identifying a couple of civilian folks that can be people that look in on folks that are out there. I, I think of one of my good friends who is a retired nurse practitioner living in a building, and she kind of naturally goes and does checks on people just to see how they're doing. Can we monetize that? in some way. I mean, are there ways to look at different care concepts than what we've, this Medicare model that we're currently in? Because certainly, to Rob's point, and as baby boomers age, just like you said, Julia, boy, we're used to managed care. It starts looking pretty good, right? Because that's what we've lived in for most of our working careers in there. So folks out there that can get creative and show value in it, be able to accumulate data and bring that, that data in showing outcome and value. It's time to build better mousetraps in what we're delivering. I mean, I think I, I agree with you hundred percent. I think even you look at the recent activity, you know, Amazon now getting into the home. CDS is already pretty much looking 
poking around in terms of that as well, and based on some articles that, that recently come out. And, you know, to be honest with you, I think from a technology standpoint, telehealth standpoint, you know, that's the avenue that they're going to look to or go to. So, you know, knowing that they're probably not going to be the ones providing the necessarily care in the home, they are going to be providing the logistics. They are going to be providing a lot of the different, different elements that, 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 that people are used to. People are used to Amazon, people are used to CVS, people are used to the apps, people are used to all that type of stuff. <laughs> How do you, from a telehealth standpoint, can start incorporating that into your business is going to position you well in the future to potentially work with partners like that who are, who are going to be at the forefront of, 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 of that? Because we know that they, you know, those, those two organizations just in itself, from a logistics standpoint, you know, technology standpoint, are, are, are very far ahead of the curves. And I think they're ready to get more. They've already in healthcare, but now they're, they're, they're really getting more into this market. So I think, you know, being aware that telehealth is probably, yes, there's a cost associated with it, but long-term sustainability is where it's at. And, and, you know, to the standpoint of two, you know, I think you're getting more and more, you know, again, to, to, to Laura's point, more and more connection points with, with, with your patients, but also families, all those different touch points. So those are, those are, those are big these days. Well, that especially too, because, you know, a lot of people might not live near their families or be around. To them, you know, people are a lot more mobile than they were, where it was more on, on that. So it'd be interesting to see kind of how telehealth plays out, but I think not investing in it now as an organization is going to start to set you back for the future. Obviously putting out fires today is the hard part because you got to put out fires and look to the future. Kind of like how you get kind of looking at the lenses every day, right? That's kind of where your focus has got to be. And even too, kind of. So what we were talking about before is the same thing with value-based purchasing and, and, and that as well. You know, again, I hear from a lot of people, oh, well, the first payment year is until 2025. Well, yeah, but for performance through 2023, and you really just can't change things in the middle of 2023 either. You know, it's, it's gotta be an ongoing, you know, part of what, what you're, what you're looking at and, and, and all the people accountable to it too. Um, I think, you know, gone are the days where productivity was six goes to be six seven visits a day and we'll be financially stable doesn't doesn't work that way anymore much more value-based and, and to be honest with you you know you look at and, and again i'm sure some people have had experiences and i know we've, we've we've seen it you know in terms of all of our clients is the minute the quality drops the resource stuff yeah the tracks and you just can't build a business based on not having that but that value and if you think about it from a quality perspective, even outside of value-based purchasing, which everyone will argue, well, it's only a 1% adjustment here or 2% adjustment here. Medicare comes out with this stuff every once a year. <laughs> so you send yourself back one year, you have to wait a whole year before a lot of people see your data that you've approved. So it's a long year to not get referrals to really try to build yourself back up. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a very, you know, a long game there that you have to look at and, and, and how to continually improve and, and not be. You know, again, everyone around you is going to try to improve. So you have to continue to improve. You know, Robbie, you made an interesting statement about with like Amazon and CVS getting, and they really are taking major, major positions. I, as you were saying that, I'm wondering, is this the tipping point? Do we think where? Uh, when you get these kind of titans that come into an industry that 
really fi finally have these financial legs to take on insurance companies, third-party payers. I mean, they can. It, the, the misfortune for all of us is that most of us are working for, even if it's a large system, um, still, ultimately, when you put it up against somebody like United Healthcare or, you know, these great big insurers, the blue system or, or whatever, you, you really don't have a lot of negotiating power. Ultimately, they, they kind of hold the cards. I just, I'm wondering is if this is the time to really start thinking creatively and on the heels of what they're doing, do you have an opportunity to ask why? Why do we still do it this way? And why couldn't we do do it a different way than we're doing it? So just thinking of the future, but I think all bets are off right now. COVID, COVID like loosened up so many things right now that, that who knows the directions that things can go and will only improve the cure. Maybe we become a wellness focused industry versus a sick focused industry because that's what we are we're just taking care of sick people rather than thinking about how we can keep them from getting sick so i think some really interesting changes are coming uh, it's it's I, I think it's coming out of the proverbial medicare box Right. I think we've been trapped in this Medicare box. It's like everything we wait for is what Medicare is going to do and what the government's going to do, which is just, you know, yeah, it's just like, oh, you know, what, what are they going to do next? Are they going to cut us? Are they going to do this and this? And you're kind of living in this constant state of panic every time it comes to July and the rules being, you know, the rules are coming out and, and, and the updates are coming out. You know, I agree. I think it's, 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 it's got to change. Right. And I think too, it's, it's, it's at the, the tipping point is, is not even just you know, I think the the that's the, the CVS and the Amazons is, is the fact that the hospitals just can't handle what they're getting right now. They're getting cut so much. And and to be honest with you, they're moving in a direction where they're probably taking care of they're trying to take care of less acute patients in some cases because what they're trying to do is you know, like hospital at home and put the patients in and in, 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 in the home. But you know, there's such a focus, you know, on on just making sure that they can be able to be financially solvent. So and what are they going to do? Well, they're going to do more and more surgical aftercare, more and more, you know, a hip replacement, joint replacements, because that's where the dollar signs are for them. So again, what else does that lead that? That's where they're going to focus on. There's this whole patient population, you know, from a preventative all the way through to, you know, you know, patients with, with comorbidities, what are more comorbidities that kind of are going to get lost in the whole shuffle. That's going on, so. Yeah, I, I fully agree that the we have to look at the full care continuum. I mean, when you look in the future, for me, it looks like, you know, partnerships with insurance companies, partnerships with health systems. So we're talking about the patient from, you know, from the time that they maybe have an issue to the time that they you know they go through home health, they go through home care, they go through palliative and, and hospice services. So I think there's that continuum that needs to be kind of latched on to the larger health continuum of wellness and other things. So what do you guys think are the future? There's the near future and the long-term future. The near future is we still live in a Medicare dominated world. 
reality is what we're facing today is doing more with less, which is a common theme everywhere of interest. I am fascinated that many of the organizations that we talk to and work with are not really prepared yet for value-based purchasing. I mean, they really haven't taken it seriously. They don't have a plan written down. They haven't identified where their biggest gains could be either in reduction of ER visits or improving satisfaction scores, or I, I keep going back to the ER one because that one is 26% of your score is in that emergency room, that one question or that one claims-based item. So the, the near future is going to be buckling down and really getting serious about how you're going to start improving. Because remember, you can't base it on what's going on right now because everybody's going to be improving. You, this is a moving target, basically. The future is, to me, somebody, to what Rob said, we have got to get out of the Medicare box and being driven by what the government is saying and start looking at what do our patients want, what do our clients want, and designing care systems for them rather than forcing them into a a model that was designed really in 1965. I mean, if you think back to it, that's it. It's that old, and times were different then. You know, healthcare was different at those points. So, how can we get focused on some of the new things? And like you said, there's a continuum of care. How do we help people move through a continuum? so that they're not the one that needs to be discharged and readmitted and discharged and readmitted and discharged, that, that services are coming to them as they're needed and the patient is having just a nice journey through that health system or through that continuum. So I think there's some, some really neat opportunities for folks to think creatively to some of our younger leaders who are coming in and and are not as indoctrinated in the whole, this is how the Medicare regulations read and this is how we will do it, end of story, but really are coming out with some innovative ideas and thinking, why couldn't we do this? Why couldn't we, you know, why can't we use home health aids to help us do a particular something or I mean the sky is the limit so I'm I'm just excited to see what's gonna what's gonna come behind us so broad ad I think I think short term you know my short term things I mean obviously value-based purchasing being one of one of the items I think there's a utilization Looking at your busy utilization trends, you have to be more effective and more efficient in the field, have to utilize staff differently to maximize that. A lot of agencies, I think capacity management, you know, I think there's more leeway before, right? I mean, we haven't measured it, we're at capacity, it's okay, it's fine. Now you're going to have to be more, a little bit more innovative in how you look at that. 
which really becomes a numbers game is, you know, we see a lot of agencies, you, you, sometimes you, you go, you can go either way, right? You can either be way too conservative and, and you end up without patients and, and you're not taking them and you're not tracking admissions on, on, on that side of it. And then, or you can just let every patient in and then you know, you, your quality suffers. So you just got to be a little bit more innovative with the capacity management, you know, really look at it, predict, predictive modeling of it. You know, patients come in, how long are they staying on? Who's going to be discharged? Making sure you're utilizing those resources, really tracking, you know, your clinical team to make sure, you know, that, that the patients are there, that they should be discharged. They are discharged, you know, looking at the acuity levels of the patients, doing more depth analysis. You know, I think a number on a caseload doesn't tell the true story on that. You have to, there's a little bit more story behind it that, that you have to, to, to navigate through, you know. Laura mentioned OACC, but you know, OACC and then, you know, from a, from even the, the coding standpoint, there's still an opportunity to prove, 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 prove your documentation. I still think, you know, agency will, will get better at that. You know, it's always kind of where we're chasing the care, right? They tell us we're doing too well, we get better at it. They tell us we're doing too well, we get better, right? It's kind of like, you know, it's, it's always, it's always the story. It's, it's a story until the end of time, you know, on that side of it. So it's something that to definitely focus on and then. And I think just, just going back to looking at, you know, from a short-term goal, I think, I think we just got to be more aggressive in negotiating some of our rates on some of these contracts. I think we got to negotiate, see if we can get Medicare-like rates for a lot of these contracts, you know, whether it be in looper rates or for per visit or potentially getting a, you know, a, a, an episodic payment or going at risk, whatever it might be. Um, you know, short-term, we just kind of bring it to the table and say, this is what we want. This is what you can do. So, you know, like really, really be, be much more demanded. And then even to look at some of our back office efficiencies, I still think, you know, sometimes, you know, we, we end up not being effective and efficient in a lot of the, the processes that, that we have, you know, all the way from getting the referral all the way through to the billing side of it, making sure you're more, you're utilizing your resources, people have a knowledge of what's going on, what happens put the right person at the right place at the right time, people working to the top of the licenses, not throwing people at problems, but solutions at problems, you know, all things that you, you need to, you need to do on the short term to, to be, to be successful. And then the long term, I just think being more in you know, like Lord Moore said, you have to be more innovative, think outside the box. I think there's number, there power, there's power in numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, you have a lot of competitors out there and I get it. Yeah, there's competitors. The more you band together, the more you work together, the more you strategize together, the more you form different types of alliances, groups, you know, you have power over negotiation with these payers. And, and that's the piece you have to do. You have to cut them off. You have to say, we have, we t- take 2000 lives in this area. We simply will not take the patients. We're not keeping that this contract. And, and I think that's something we have to look at. Yeah. They're competitors. Yeah. You know, there's something we don't have to necessarily share the rates with them, but you know, they, they probably have the same rates as us on this or, or, you know, we're joining different groups or different, you know, you know, things that to be able to do that because the long term you gotta have, have some numbers. Mm-hmm. That's what matters, right? And that's what matters to, to, to the payer. So we think long term, we need to strategize a little bit better about that and, and not necessarily look at it as a national level. We do these look at the national level, but again, the biggest thing is where we locally can get together and, and, and do that because you start talking to the contracting folks or even the regional, you know, leadership at a lot of these, these payers, they, they're panicking. There's a panic. There's a little bit of panic there that if this does happen, they're going to have to increase their rates, which means, you know, maybe they're 
CEOs. United only has six posts and seven. Go back for them, but I don't. I'm not tired. So it's, it's, you know, part of that is, 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 is being a little bit more, you know, you know, powerful in that, in that regard. So. You know, I'm wondering if we won't finally get a seat at the table, really, that home health care is finally being recognized as a very viable care modality and, and being at home. And to Rob's point, if we don't start getting the ability to be part of the negotiation versus just always the little add-on, the little engine kind of that could, because we are such an inexpensive cost. People <laughs> don't think there's much to it, really. And yet we're inexpensive because of the care that's being delivered and the efficiencies of people that are doing things out there. So it's bright. Yeah, I think certainly, definitely one of the things that agencies can do is use their outcomes to help themselves with those negotiations. If you're able to keep people out of the hospital or out of higher cost areas, you, you should be able to prove that not only to your referral sources, but also to your payers, as as Rob was alluding. I think it's it's important to be able to take that stand for sure. What about acquisitions and we've seen an awful lot of little agencies become part of larger agencies over the past several years you think that's going to impact this 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 rate cut you impact that i think yes and no i think what's going to happen is 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 for home health of the the you know knowing that there's a seven percent cut i don't think the valuations are as high as they once were on, on a lot of these smaller yeah, agencies. Yeah. So the question is, do you kind of want to sell now or and get acquired and, or, or, you know, you get, it's, it's, are the big guys just going to wait for people to go out of business and just take their volume and take their staff? Potentially that, that could be a strategy. It could be a strategy through acquisition because they'll, they'll tend to be less expensive for them. So you're, you're gonna, you're gonna, it'd be interesting to see, because I think once the final rule comes out, mm-hmm. it's good slow position market and main market right now. Once the final rule comes out, it'll be interesting to see the reaction to that. It's, it's either like, hey, we're going to buy up a lot of agencies or we're not. Now, I think that the critical thing that happens with this is, is you know, with all of this and, and the large agencies buying smaller agencies is, is A, are you able to retain the staff, which is the big question, right? If you can't retain the staff, then, then the acquisition really, to be frank, almost worthless. You have to be able to, 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 to retain the staff, which means, you know, really how you go about it and keep that local presence, making sure you have, you know, that, that, that ability to do that. I think if I were looking at it and I'm a, a smaller mid-sized agency and, and maybe it's not the time to sell on the, on the other side of it, it's about the big side, bigger side, you know, I think diversifying your payer, your service lines is, is huge. I think looking, if you don't have hospice. Look for it. Start it up. Can you do it? You know, honestly, it's it's an underserved hospice is an underserved market that financially does really well and is a perfect complement to home health. If you put a palliative and a home health together and hospice really complement each other. You can be, you know, a very good presence in the community. 
do what's best for the patient. And financially, you're, you're more stable because hospice doesn't seem to be getting, you know, the, the, the large reimbursement cuts that are going on right now. And every time that they come out with something for hospice, they seem to push it back further and further. Home health are in a rush to stick it all in, in, in one year. So it kind of tells you a little bit about the market. And I think part of it too is, is that they want hospice to expand. Because again, look at the data. I mean, you go to Massachusetts, I believe it's a 3% utilization rate of hospice. But then you go to like Florida, it's like a 7%. So it's just, there's just these anomalies in these communities of, of utilization and on, on the hospice side that, you know, you know, really are, are, are up and down that yeah, I think there's perfect, great opportunity if you have a home health agency to, to look at starting. We have a lot of agencies been reaching out to us lately. That's what their roles are. Just can we start up a hospice? Should we go, can we acquire? Can we start one? What can we do? Because it all sets your losses. It's, it's a, it's a great service. It's a, it's a, it's an awesome service. Great for the patient. Great for, for, for from a, from a standpoint. But it, I mean, bottom line is it makes good margins. You know, I'll put my finance hat on there. It's good margins. And of course, what, symmetry can help, right? So, you know, hi, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think you know we can help with everything. I we we can we can help prepare you for VBP, prepare you for Oasis E. We've done a lot of work with a lot of organizations looking at the rates, you know, in terms of what's going on there, how to operationally become a better organization. You know, what are some of the things you can you can do? We're actually beta-ing a, a visit utilization tool uh, with a couple of clients. We're going to look at the visits, you know, see where there's opportunity there. And then even too, as I said, looking at doing some of this market research, I think it's just fascinating. We got a, we got a top-notch data team led by Christy Lang. She, 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 one of the, the smartest out there. And, you know, she, you know, we, we have some really good information on some of the market data to see, Hey, if we want to expand. If you want to look to other service lines, some really cool information in our, in our map tool. And I think the cool thing about our map tool is, you know, you don't just buy a tool, you buy the symmetry expertise that we add to that, which is a huge layer of value that, that you get as you go, go through that. Cause we've all, all been through it, written a book about it. I haven't read a book, but Julia's read books. I, I, I I'm waiting, <laughs> waiting till I retire and then I'm going to write, I'm going to write a book. Maybe, maybe someone will be censored, but we'll, we'll see. I'll, I'll have to you, be my editor on it. I'll help you out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think too, to add to this, because yes, Julia has two really good books available right now in, in things that we don't often talk about, which is how to be that clinical manager in hospice and home health. I know that I was certainly lucky enough to get pulled up into it with really no training and that was fun. So, but also in, in getting back to these cuts and to value-based purchasing, truly Symmetry does have people available that have been through these cycles before. We've lived through them. We've met the challenges. There's also some unique solutions in our coding areas, in our receivables and, and billing areas where you can potentially either be more efficient in coding and increase the revenue that you're receiving and then being able to collect it, which might be some dollars that you can use to offset some of these cuts 
as well. So truly there, there are solutions and there are people to help you. I think we're three that definitely will. So. Well, great. This has been really a wonderful time talking to you both and anything else you'd like to share before we sign off. Great. Well, thank you, Laura and Rob for your time today. And this is the Clinical Manager Podcast, Coffee and Conversation. Thank you. Have a great day.